whichever way we can, spread the ability to talk and to think and to function in that way and make it as normal as we can in society. Right? Listeners, hello. This week I've been flying back from China, writing an article on higher education for university business and launching our EdTech Podcast Festival directory of services. Check out some of those bits on our social feeds. I'm also excited this week to present the second episode from the UFI mini-series on upskilling on the EdTech Podcast which will take a look at technologies in workplace training, which are changing the ways we learn and thrive. This week, we're looking at tipping qualification and assessments on their head. And here's Liz Dobry, Chief Impact Officer at the UFI Charitable Trust, talking about just that. Things are changing so much from the days of having a written exam paper and at the end of a very long period of study. I think what tech's enabling us to do is just tip it all on its head and learn in different ways. And obviously, then we have to assess things in different ways. Um, And I think the VR, for example, I know we spoke last time about the National College for Nuclear and what they're doing with VR. And that's created a, a change in how they accredit their courses as a result of that learning. So we know that VR enables students to to self-reflect on their performance and um, to capture that evidence. But the question is, how do you then translate that into an accreditation or qualification? And I know that UWE, University of Western England, who accredit, I think it's the degree level part of Bridgewater's courses, the college's courses, have actually flipped their assessment on its head so while it was previously something like 80 percent test and 20 percent practical evidence because of vr they've been able to swap that over so it's now 80 percent based on the evidence that's been captured through the vr scenarios and another example would be ecom scotland who was one of our c projects and they set out to tackle the issue of apprentices studying through the Canal College and doing archaeological digs. And the challenge was for those students that haven't been able to go on the archaeological digs for whatever reason, because they don't happen very often, how do you ensure that they still are able to fully participate in the course and get their accreditation at the end? So what they've done is obviously use VR to do that, but they've worked with the Scottish Qualifications Association to get that evidence accepted as part of the accreditation and built in to that qualification. Um, One thing kind of struck me when I was in China last week was the amount of presentations that were talking about perhaps assessment from the point of view of whether it was using face tracking or recognition technology. So, you know, to the down to the level of are you paying attention or um, how engaged are you? So there's also the ability to, to kind of follow more closely how switched on we are both the student but also the teacher how engaged is the teacher in in the classroom as well so there's some interesting developments around that and and how we use them and and where we choose to use technology and and where perhaps uh we can kind of leave it to that sort of more traditional setup as well yeah i think that's really interesting we haven't had any um applications through yet with as far as i'm aware with face facial recognition that would be really fascinating to look at um i 
I think you're right. I think what the tech enables us to do is really sort of slice and dice how we how we do our learning and how we um, how we assess performance um, and therefore provide a much more personalized experience for um, for learners that's much more targeted on their needs. Um, And AI in particular is a good example of this. Um, I know Century Tech, who I think you featured before on one of your podcasts, they they use AI to grade within schools, and we're working with them at the moment. We've, we're supporting a project where they are taking that technology and applying it to FE colleges. Um, and likewise, with Fluence, who I think you're going to speak to um, very soon, um, are looking at how AI can grade that content that's provided um, consistently and give the feedback that enables that personalized approach and more time for the the teachers and tutors to engage with the students in areas that they actually need the help. Thanks Liz and to delve further into the subject I'm excited to share this interview recorded recently with Kevin Jones from the Digital Guild. I'm delighted to have Kevin Jones on the line, who is from East Sussex College Group and also the project manager of Digital Guild. So, Kevin, perhaps you could kick off by just telling us a little bit about the college group and also what the Digital Guild platform is all about. Yeah, of course. So, East Sussex College Group is now the largest kind of general FE college in the southeast, and the Digital Guild is basically a platform that helps match young people with work experience and industry placements. Okay, and can you tell us a little bit about how long Digital Guild has been going and and what problem it's trying to solve and sort of the iterations it's been through to, to kind of get to where you are currently? Yeah, of course. So we actually started back in around 2015 with some help from UFI, we built a, a framework, which is really around employability skills, that was trying to sort of connect the gap between what we knew that employers were looking for in young people in terms of perhaps um, communication skills and problem solving skills and initiative and those less tangible skills versus their kind of traditional formal qualifications. And we recognized that our students have a huge potential and huge skills that they can that they can show, but they often find it difficult to actually articulate that, say, through their CV or in an interview. So what we ended up building was this a digital platform that allows students to upload evidence showing those skills. And then that evidence can then be viewable by employers to see real tangible proof of a student's creativity or decision-making skills. I mean, this is a really interesting area. And uh, one question I had was around, you know, you've got various, I suppose, alternative ways of accrediting work. So you might have the sort of open badge systems and video CVs and online portfolios and MOOC certificates. How, as an employer, do you broach all of those different types of accreditation and then also or credentialing and then also the value proportion given to each of those types of systems as well yeah this is something this is a great great question i think so firstly we 
actually use the open badge specification in our in our platform. So all of the skills that the students develop and earn, they earn those digital badges for. In terms of the kind of value I think that employers give to those, we found a number of things. So firstly, we know that employers really like the flexibility of being able to specify exactly what they're looking for in terms of, say, recruiting new talent. So just being able to specify one qualification isn't enough. That's the kind of maybe the expectation. But what they're really looking for are those reliable, passionate people who are really going to serve their organisation. Now, where I think these alternative forms of accreditation can come in is they can really help tell a story. They can really show that a particular um, young person has been interested in fashion for the last five years, his photos, his videos, his documents. And, and actually, that tells a much richer picture than simply a certificate from, for a formal qualification. And then the integrity of the badge system essentially comes by East Sussex College Group being the backer for for the value of that. Is that kind of how it would work in the minds of an employer, do you think? Well, it is, but there's a, there's an additional bonus, which is the fact that the evidence that is uploaded is transparent. So it travels with the badge, which means that if I want to test a claim that somebody is creative, I can click through and perhaps see a video of an artifact they've made or how they've you know solved a difficult situation. So actually, it, it actually opens up um, that evidence base and allows an employer to judge for themselves. The open badges that you you help to support, are are those kind of something that would be interoperable with a platform like LinkedIn? Or do you think it's necessary to have like a kind of master platform which pulls these things together? Well, one of the reasons we went with the open badge specification was for exactly that portability and the ability for the, you know, the owner to choose where they want to host their badges, basically. It's not a closed system with open badges. So yes, you can share them on LinkedIn. Um, you can share them through various social media. You can host them anywhere on the web that you want to. And I think the ability of that both um, sort of transferability and portability is the idea that they, they move with you through different organisations. So from primary school right through to you know up to HE and then into the into the workplace and a number of organizations like IBM use these as a integral part of their you know CPD programs throughout employment. And if I were to write you a, a massive kind of comedy check what would you do with that funding and you know how would you develop what you've already kind of built on how would you how would you expand your program to have even more impact? Well, I think at the heart of the Digital Guild is the idea that we feel the the way your work experience works at the moment is very much based on who you know rather than what you know. So what we're trying to do is allow employers to say, yeah, I'd be willing to offer work experience, but I've got some specific requirements that I'm looking for because I know that it's going to be a cost to me to provide that. I need someone to to mentor and plan their work and so on. So I want to make sure that I'm getting something for my business as well. So if I had this comedy check, I mean, ultimately, it's to create a UK-wide platform for not just work experience, but longer kind of T-level style industry placements, but also perhaps live project briefs where students work on real work, but still within an education setting. 
and that the new currency that is for, for skills is actually through these badges, your CV. That's what actually gets you into those opportunities and opens the doors. And, and do you kind of see, foresee sort of technology like artificial intelligence or the blockchain being used to uh, expedite some of the processes of connecting employers and skill sets of different potential employees or work experience types? I mean, in terms of our recommendation engine, if you have a student who's said, look, I'm not quite sure exactly what roles I'm wanting to do, but these are the sort of sectors and these are my skills. And we've also got a huge sort of corpus of knowledge that is saying, these are the jobs that are out there and these are the types of skills require that an AI can sift through that data and make much more intelligent options and recommendations and perhaps suggest new careers to young people that they didn't even know existed. In terms of the blockchain, I think, I mean, the blockchain's got, got huge potential for kind of verification of the and proving that these things these things happened and that you really did attend that conference or whatever because it's it's so verifiable and and, and trusted just finally what's next for the guild and how can people also get hold of you to kind of find out more about what you're doing okay so the, we're currently in beta at the moment we're live with a couple of different colleges around the country we've just yeah, we're, we're building it out really using feedback from students and work placement um, coordinators and management staff to build the platform. We're now looking for more partner colleges to come on board and be part of that pilot. And, and our, our plans are focused towards getting ready for T-level implementation so that we can support these longer eight, nine-week industry placements where there's a lot more work to manage assessments and health and safety and so on. So that's very exciting. So if there are colleges listening in that are interested, we'll host your your contact details or make sure that we can act as the intermediary there and hopefully get some more colleges working with the Digital Guild as well. Okay, great. Okay, thank you so much, Kevin. Okay, thank you, Sophie. Thanks, Kevin. Now, on to this week's feature, which is a live podcast discussion from our podcast festival looking at some current initiatives in real-world learning, including developing student confidence, experience and communication. On the episode are moderating Julian Hall, founder at Ultra Education, and on the panel, Debbie Penglis, Director of Partnerships at School 21, Adebayo Odesula, Programme Director at DebateMate, and local students sharing their experiences. I hope you enjoy and do drop us a line via speakpipe.com forward slash the EdTech podcast or via Twitter at podcast EdTech to let us know what you think. Have a great week. What's really important for me about this session today around raising the student voice is in the business that we run, it's all about giving young people the confidence using the vehicle of, of entrepreneurship, really, and to explore their passion, the things that they love doing, you know, exposing the business model behind it. But what it does do is it puts them on a platform where their voice can be heard and they can share their opinions about 
the products and services that they're making, about other products and services that they're consuming. And it helps to raise the value and the, and the confidence that they can then share what they think about something and that that will be well, well received by, by the adults of this world. And so we do this outside of the school environment, but there's lots of other companies and providers do similar great work. And also, I'm really interested to find out what's happening within the school environment and how we can shift the dial on raising the student voice. So if I can just ask the first question to, to Debbie, don't worry, these, these aren't really difficult questions, so no one's going to be marked at the end. But uh, if you could just let me know, how do School 21's kind of pedagogies and approaches help to, to address the, the kind of raising this, the student voice? How do you guys see that working within your environment? So School 21 went round the corner, just down the road in Stratford. I think it's an interesting one because I think student voice, I think there's two parts to it. There's the kind of literal student voice, so how young people being enabled to you know, speak eloquently, to be able to listen um, sympathetically, empathetically, etc. There's a kind of the technical piece of speaking. And there's also the um, metaphorical part of student voice. So feeling like you deserve to have a platform to speak, feeling like you have something to say that's worth listening to. So in terms of what we do, um, for the quite the technical side of it, um, oracy is really important to us. It's a pedagogical approach and by that we mean speaking skills we call it oracy to put it on a platform with literacy and numeracy and in terms of that that's every teacher being a teacher of oracy that's every classroom having a dialogic culture it's um teaching students how to be really articulate but also how to you know code switch as well it's not about saying you know this is how to talk proper speak the queen's english it's saying actually these are what these are the skills that make you a compelling speaker that'll make you a collaborative problem solver etc so part of it is literally what we do in the classroom and then the other part is telling students that they deserve a platform to share their voice and to make change to the world so we teach through a project-based learning approach where our students are out in the community solving problems they might be working with people like Sophie um, in her business or other people in businesses charities etc and they're given an opportunity to go and make a real difference for that organization so the problem solving bringing those oracy skills into that and seeing a change in their community or a change for a business enables them to see that their voice is, is worth sharing and that actually they have something to say that's of value to the world and how do you think they uh, take that on board from from adults because I guess sometimes students kind of glaze over and they hear adults saying really nice things really encouraging things to them but sometimes it doesn't resonate with them internally you know they, they, they'll consciously receive it but they don't internalize it and then and then act on it mm-hmm. do you see that as a challenge and if so how do you how do you overcome it at school 21 I definitely think that can be a challenge. Um, I think the way to create really great talk and for students to believe they should be able to speak is by creating authentic situations where their voice makes a difference. So actually me just giving feedback to a child on their talk could be useful if they're listening and if they can understand my feedback and take it on board. What's super helpful is when you create those high stakes environments where the feedback is really authentic and makes a difference to something they're doing. So I'm going to just set them a fake project in school. So design this event that doesn't happen. Um, We say to them, you know, work with this employer, work with this business down the road that need this actual thing to happen so when they get feedback on their talk when they're supported and given advice that's not just coming from teachers as well that's a mixed group of people sharing that feedback it's their peers it's the person who they're producing an outcome for right, right. and it's the teachers but in the context of 
this needs to be better for this real thing to happen and be a really good version of itself. So yeah, definitely. I think authenticity and high stakes is what makes the difference to students taking on feedback. Brilliant. I think that's amazing. And do you share that approach with other schools? Yes, we do. We kind of open source all our work on Oracy. We've set up a charity called Voice 21 that takes that out wow. um, to other schools but we also invite people in to see our work so I think last year we had about a thousand visiting teachers from across the world um, and we love having people in to see what we do I mean it's not perfect we're not the perfect version we're a work in progress but we think that our emphasis on on um, the voice of young people is really important and is something that people can come and learn from well thank you I'm going to hand over quickly to Karma Ray. she'll just tell you a little bit about the businesses that she does and then I think she's had a question for Ade Hi everyone, my name is Kamrae Hall, also known as Naaria. So I have, how many businesses do I have? I have four businesses. So my first one is my vegan chocolate spread, which is my first business. The second one is my YouTube channel, which is one of the businesses that I'm still in the working process of. And then these are my two newest businesses. One is called Kamara's Crazy Slime Kit, which is a slime kit that I do, which provides all of the ingredients and measurements and instructions to make slime. And also I've got a slime business, which I do with one of my best friends, best friends from school called Nora, and it's called NNN Slime. Great, thank you. My question for Ade is... Hi, Ade. So, um, how has the student voice been raised through podcasting? At DebateMate, our aim is to give students the confidence to operate and function in a 21st century labour market. So, uh, we think that if you can give students the confidence to, to learn and to work in a team and critically and creatively think, then students will be able to, to be confident and be effective when they leave school. And that's... that's pretty much our, our whole aim and it's interesting Julian you said uh, you know you use entrepreneurship as a sort of vehicle for developing these skills and in a, in a similar way what we do is we use debating to develop these skills and so with our podcast um, what we do is literally get students opinions on world's the world's issues right so um, the funny enough I was when I started working on the debate mate podcast we were looking back through some of the old podcasts that we've done and we found an old recording of me in about 2010 as a student Student. Um, and I called in and I was giving my opinion on uh, the Syria, the, the war in Syria and, and a, a big issue. Um, and what we do is we give students a license to put forward their opinion and uh, their, their arguments or thoughts on these big issues that they might have thought were removed or, or, or too uh, advanced for them. Um, and the way we do it, and the, the only way I was able to do that is through doing debate me at school. And Really, the debating isn't the, the, the end of, of what we do. Actually, the debating is just the vehicle by which we develop skills like communication, confidence, teamwork, creative thinking, critical thinking. So you can look at an argument and look at how to uh, examine the content of it and then also be able to empathise and think about how other stakeholders would operate. And so I was able to go on the podcast all those years ago at school uh, because I had been put in a room with 15 minutes preparation and then had to debate, right? Uh, it's actually, it's actually, if you, it's actually quite difficult, you know, and what, 
what it does is it allows students to think quickly and develop the skills so that they can uh, put their voice out. And then, you know, if, hopefully, if, they, if they're lucky enough, they can get on the Debate Mate podcast and, uh, and give their, their opinion on a big issue that they might not otherwise have been given the airtime or license to give their opinion on. And how old do you need to be to start podcasting? Uh, well, I don't think I'd put a, a minimum limit on that. So long as you had the ability to speak, I think <laughs> I, I think you're, you're definitely eligible to, to get on a podcast. And the, the key thing isn't necessarily your age, I'd say. What we think is the key thing is you are able to look at an argument, construct an argument and have the empathy to look at how other people would look at your own argument. You know, how would they feel? How would they assess the options available to them? And... If, if you are able to do that, if you're able to look at an issue uh, and have a structure to thinking, structure to argumentation, uh, then you, you can be on a podcast. It doesn't, your, your age isn't, isn't necessarily the key thing here, I'd say. It's the, the skills that are required in order to, to give an opinion. So my next question is for Debbie. What can schools do to improve the platform for the student voice? So, for example, in my school, we can, whenever the senior man management has meetings, we have the opportunity to go in and shout our opinion. I think that's a fantastic way of doing it. I think what's really important, though, is that student voice doesn't happen with a self-selecting group. And I think that often does happen in schools. That's a bit of a problem. So it might be that the people who go into those meetings are the ones who say, I'm happy to do it, I'm, you know, I'm confident to do that. Um, same as the people who go to debating clubs after school, maybe, who opt in because they already have the confidence to take that first step or because they've got the parents who are saying, you should take this first step. Um, so I think what schools can do are create platforms like that where students can influence decisions, but I'd say it has to be authentic. So what you say to those, that senior leadership team, they have to take it really seriously. It can't just be that they're having you there as, you know, a development opportunity for you. It has to be for them to see it as really developmental for the school. But also that the group of students who are getting involved in that are varied and actually that it's comprehensive, that everybody has the opportunity to do that and not just the ones who are the most confident. So I think that's something that schools could be doing. I think another thing is they could be really thoughtful about how they plan talk in the classroom so teachers you know you go into any classroom there's going to be an element of talk they might say turn around and talk to your partner um, they might say okay we're going to spend five minutes having a conversation about this thing that you're learning about but actually putting the thought into how they deliver that and how the groupings work and are there any protocols around the talk are there any agreements that that group of people are talking have amongst um, themselves before they start talking I think are really important to developing voice so as an example if the teacher put a group of students together and one of the rules was if somebody's not speaking invite them into the conversation that means that the student maybe who has less confidence to start talking themselves if somebody else says to them you know Debbie I haven't heard from you yet do you have an opinion on this they're given a platform to share their voice so I think planning talk carefully but also making sure it's not just a self-selecting group of students because you then just perpetuate the kind of social structures we have. It just means people who are already confident get to carry on being more confident. So my last question for Debbie is, what would students know about the value of their voices? What would they know? Yeah. Um, so I think students should know that they uh, deserve to have a platform, that their voices, they are going to, you know, they are the, the things that are going to change the world. I mean, we saw that picture earlier and that 
first talk of, you know, all the challenges we face in terms of climate change, in terms of, you know, countries working together. And I think young people should know that their voices are key to solving those problems. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's about the power of change that they have and knowing that they deserve to be on a platform and deserve to share it. So I've spoken at many places. One of them is Bloomberg, uh, London Live, on the radio and many more events. So how do you think other students or children can get opportunities like that? I think it's about those organisations creating opportunities and I think it's about schools um, taking them up on it. So the best way, I think, to make sure it's fair is it by going through schools. I think if it if it's just opportunities that are advertised that parents can put their children into, then you'll get the same kind of children who are going to them. So I think it's business, you know, the world of tech, the world of finance, the world of charities, whatever it might be, whatever areas of business, working collaboratively with schools to get young people into those sort of situations. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. So question for Ade and Hedera over there. Do you guys see the value of the parents in raising the student voice? I mean, has there been any experiences where you've seen that have an impact? Because sometimes we kind of silo the experience of the young person. So, you know, their experience at school, their experience with friends, their experience with parents. But actually for that young person, it's, it's one experience. So how do you think we can bring parents more closely into the fold for something like podcasting, for example? Because I think it's a great platform, but their input and their support at home is, is massive. So how do you see that input impacting the student voice? Yeah, well, I think absolutely. I think uh, parents are admittedly and obviously a massive influence on, on, on a student's voice and their ability to advocate for themselves and also their ability to, to add to feel a value in the things that they are saying. But I think crucially, the, what we can control, what, what we can affect is uh, how students can engage uh, in society and how their voice can be received in society and in school. Um, that, that's, that's where I see uh, the difference being made. Um, as in, you know, you can't necessarily control for parents, where you, whereas you can control for an education system and the structures around it. Um, and so I think where we can where we can control that's where that's where we see importance that's what we see as uh, as being the thing that is is most important for us um and i think that the way we do that is by giving students the ability to advocate for themselves in any arena and and i think is I, I really agree with what, what debbie says and the the idea of accessibility so we we teach at debate we teach debating uh, to students six thousand students every week uh, in schools across the country um, and students come to after school clubs and if those clubs aren't accessible for all the students and where they can work in a team with students who might be a bit higher ability than them and learn from the students who are also in their team where if the the curriculum isn't one whereby you can use the skills that are being developed through debating in any subject whether it be technical science based subjects or more humanities-based subjects we think actually if it isn't a general and and uh, across the board effect it isn't going to be as good of an effect and I think we have to focus on the bits that we can control which are to do with after school after school clubs or the curriculum the sort of in 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 the box the content what is actually being taught that's what we need to look at and and you know use that to give students as many skills as we can afford them I don't know what you think Kayla um, yeah, so building what Ade said, I think it is very true that 
one what well parents are a very important factor in a kid's life they're a very big aspect of it in terms of the ability of us to try and control what parents do is very limited i think parents role is generally to be supportive to foster discussion to allow their kids to have that kind of ability to speak but in situations where that isn't possible like the work we do at debate mate is kind of to give the children the confidence to build up their own voice like take part in every opportunity we can give them you know we've worked with many different companies and businesses like in passing this year we had Goldman Sachs who offered an opportunity to some of our students to get involved to get involved with some pitching get involved with a workshop there and i think in that way that is how we can change like children's ability to speak out and their confidence and their aspirations and like that through offering as many opportunities as we can i think parents fall into that in so far as they can encourage their kids to do so and they can perhaps foster more discussion in the home but in terms of what we can control i feel that's very much outside of that aspect because you it's not like our place to get involved with parenting so i think a lot of the focus does fall on you know other external education educational organizations and so I'm glad actually Hayden brought that up. I completely forgot this event. So to, to explain, we we uh, we did an event with Goldman Sachs where we got loads of our students who come to our after school clubs to do uh, uh, exercise with um, analysts and members of staff where they analysed and looked at loads of uh, companies and at the end uh, they got they were given some guidance, chatted with some of the professionals and then they had to pitch in a like sort of real world scenario um, and at the uh, and what that was was giving them the confidence to stand up in front of a professional and make a case you know and, and, and analyse the different aspects of it um, and so the things that you guys are saying about sort of the putting students in, the, in a real environment completely subscribe to I think that makes that makes um, perfect sense and we we try to do that as much as possible so I think the elephant in the classroom sometimes is the fact that we have platforms like Instagram YouTube Snapchat which are giving students a voice um, but they're not necessarily curated or moderated by parents or by educators um, and it's completely lower the barrier to entry um, for those students and for those young people. Um, so firstly, Debbie, School's 21, how do you approach that, you know, the phenomenon of uh, that, that social media has now enabled young people to, to give them a voice, to give them a voice in, in a really authentic way? How does School 21 potentially approach that conversation with, with your students? Okay, so I think there's two parts to it because there's what they put out there and there's what's received as well. Um, in terms of what they put out there, I think... What we can do is, like I said, teach young people, give them the skills to be able to speak out. And I mean speak out in all sorts of ways, whether that's creatively using their voices and words or using images or whatever. So it's supporting them with learning context, you know, tone. How does it work when you're in a small group? How does it work when you're projecting to a larger group? So a lot of that is a kind of taught part of our curriculum. We think about it really carefully um, and know that we teach them how it translates to different situations, whether it's online, whether it's um, in person, etc. Um, so that's a big part of it. But the other thing we do is we offer a programme called the Real World Learning Programme. So that's where our students go out of school. Um, so those in year 10 and year 12, um, for half a day a week, every single week they're out of school and they're working for an organisation right. on a problem, which I sort of described before. And lots of those projects have... Um, had a social media element to them so young people so I mean when we ask organizations what do you want our young people to do for you lots of them say social media we're just not reaching out we don't know what platforms to use we don't know how to use them to 
make sure young people hear us. I mean, we had we did a project recently where students were looking at the hospitality industry, which is going to be completely changed when we exit the EU because lots of our workers in the hospitality industry come from European countries within the EU. There needs to be um, a change in that. We need to get young British children wanting to go into those industries. So this um, organisation we worked with, an advertising agency, sorry, PR agency, were working with big hotel groups like Hilton, and, but the, they, the problem they identified was those big hotel groups just don't know how to talk to young people. So that was a particular project where our students completely um, kind of uh, changed the idea of social media for that organisation who were u- previously using Twitter. They told them, you know, you need to be using Snapchat. This is the kind of tone you use. This is what young people are listening to. And they did that in order to um, reach a new audience. So part of it is actually saying to them, we embrace this. Here are projects where you can use your expertise in social media to affect businesses because you actually know more about it than they do. Um, and part of it is just having the conversation around how do you put your voice out there? OK, great. And just any final words from our guests about student voice? What is it you'd like the audience to, to walk away with today? Yeah, well, I'd say the important thing is we shouldn't always get too hung up about the sort of intricacies of the top line of what we want in terms of students uh, students ability to speak out we should make sure they've got the underlying skills uh, so that and the transferable skills so that in any arena uh, they can go to sort of any sort of environment and be able to effectively advocate for themselves that's the that's an important thing and that's what we really try to to push at debate mate um, so the skills are crucial and we have to prepare students for a changing labour market, the labour market of tomorrow that just isn't the same as the labour market that we exist in uh, even today. Um, and so uh, the only way to do that is to uh, be interactive, give students confidence, allow them to develop all the skills that will allow them to operate and allow them to think critically when they enter the workplace and go into meetings and be able to, to make their case in a, in a, a sensible but also you know, adequate and valid way. Um, and so we shouldn't get too too hung up on the top line. Let's make sure students have the underlying skills and prepare our, our students for a labour market of tomorrow. Debbie? I think uh, if there's anything I want people to take away, especially the educators in the room or those who can influence educators, is to create an inclusive environment for talk and um, for finding one's voice, make sure there's an opportunity for every student, make sure it's planned for, it's purposeful and thoughtful. I think it's probably worth um, just kind of leaving you with the idea of the last time in school you're measured on how well you can communicate is when you are in reception. So when you're four or five years old, that's when the government say this is a point we want to measure how well people are communicating. That doesn't happen again until you go to your first interview, your first application wow. day, um, at, you know, whether it's at a job or it's for a university. So that is problematic. We need to actively do it. If, if the government aren't saying this needs to be measured, actually we need to say it is our moral duty. There's a moral imperative to make sure every young person is articulate and can find their voice. I love that. A moral imperative. That sounds like a hashtag. <laughs> hey, dear. Um, so I think if there's one takeaway that I would like people to walk away with today, it's that while I'm appreciative of the fact that debating and public speaking is a standout on my UCAS application, it shouldn't be. It should be something that everyone can access, something that everyone has. It shouldn't be special or shocking that, you know, the brilliant kids you see on stage today um, can speak so well. Like, they have done things like written books. They have things like large social media presences that, you know, you're a motivational speaker that should, while it's brilliant, it shouldn't be such a unique thing. I think 
the fact that it is special when a kid can talk says a lot about how we teach children. I think children should be able to communicate. You know, we, like while these kinds of programs and podcasts are really good things, I don't think it should be like something that continues into the future. I think like as soon as we can with programs like maybe like programs like School 21's Oracy program, we tr- should try and spread the ability to talk to be a very, very normal thing we see. Like we should be able to see children speaking out publicly, no one being afraid to stand up on stage. It should be a very normal thing for uh, someone to be able to express their thoughts because considering how many people we talk to every day, it's surprising how little focus we put on the communication skills we actually have, how few children can structure an argument in a way that is logical, can think on the spot if you get asked them a question, if you give them 15 minutes to prepare a topic like we do in our clubs. How many children struggle with that? How many adults struggle with that in the programs we run with businesses? And that shouldn't be a thing. That shouldn't be, you know, something that's only special. It shouldn't be just debating societies or politics societies. And it shouldn't be strange for someone who does medicine or science to be able to talk. It shouldn't be strange for a child to have such a strong presence on a stage. So I think the takeaway from this is, like, really try it. We should always, like, throughout whichever way we can, spread the ability to talk and to think and to function in that way and make it as normal as we can in society, really. Great, thank you. And I think for me, um, this is a a great topic, you know, um, raising the student voice. But it suggests that the student voice hasn't already been raised. So maybe in a few years' time, we won't need to have this. We can can talk about something else, right? Um, And I think it's going to take each and every one of us, whether we are in education, whether we're homeschooling, whether we're parents. And what I've realised, you know, working in the sector is that it will take a collaborative approach. You know, parents can't just look at schools. Schools can't just look at parents. Um, you know, we need to work together to ensure that the students' voices raised, our children's voices are raised, and the voices of young people in the community are raised. So for me, if we can take away some of these, these golden nuggets, we can hopefully uh, make a change in that regard. So thank you all for joining us this morning, and I look forward to seeing you all throughout the day. Thank you very much. That's all for this week's episode. If you're secretly listening in and haven't left us a review yet, go and do it now. The EdTech Podcast will be forever in your debt. Or go and post who you are and where you're listening in on our Facebook page. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.